You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you, Wes. Here I am. Glad we're together. Hello on Zoom, too, by the way. We have quite a gathering on Zoom. So this is, this is fun. Here we are. Let's start with um, reading some scripture. Bryant has a microphone, and I'd like a volunteer to, to read this text. The com- the, we don't have a lector, as it were. The community is the lector here, so you read to us. That's why we do that. A lector is somebody assigned to read during a liturgy, right? So like they would come up and do their thing and then go back, right? And and in some liturgies, there's a lot of different readings that happen. But Wes read us the psalm. Atokia is going to read us the passage upon which I will offer a message. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be, there will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Mark 13, 1-8. Thank you, Tokia. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can you imagine the end of the world? I think if I asked you that 19 months ago, maybe you'd have a different answer. But maybe you can after the last 19 months, when we're in this pandemic. Maybe you can imagine it after you read a climate report, climate change report. Or when you see creeping white supremacy in the United States that is now leading us to authoritarian style book burning. The end of the world sometimes signals a complete ending to life as we know it, like a meteor striking the earth and making us all go extinct. But in other scenarios, like being in a death-ridden, despair-filled pandemic that has killed 10.6 to 19.8 million people. That's the number of excess deaths. Or the climate catastrophe that may take 150 million lives. 
if the Earth warms two degrees more, two degrees Celsius more, 150 million people. It's nearly half of the, that's nearly half of the United States. Or white nationalism threatening to take over the United States because our national resolve against anti-racism is about as good as our resolve to start going to the gym and start a diet on January 1st. We get jump-started sometimes on it. You see a cop kill a black man or black woman. You get, you get we're going to do this, you know, summer of 2020. That was a long time ago. In all these cases, the world doesn't actually end, but it changes dramatically. And how it changes tells us something about ourselves, tells us something about what we value. It tells us something about what the powers around us are doing. In this speech that we read, that we just read a part of it in Mark 13, it's also featured in Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21, we see apocalyptic language from Jesus. Some call this passage a little apocalypse. Apocalypse, again, is often associated with the end of the world, but it comes from the Greek word meaning to uncover or to disclose or to reveal. Apocalypses reveal things. And so in apocalyptic literature, we see something more. Something is revealed to us beyond just the end of the world. Apocalyptic literature is sometimes called the literature of the dispossessed, too. It comes out of oppressed groups who envision an end of their world and something new. Maybe we can imagine it through this lens today. This passage starts with his disciples, Jesus' disciples, noting the great stones in the second temple, the one that Herod built them. The next slide has the second temple on it, if you're able to. I don't know if I can manipulate it very well. Herod was known for construction projects, including an aqueduct. He was a sort of a leader that was able to get away with taxing his citizens very high rates because he delivered them symbols of national pride, such as this temple. And this, the disciples marvel at the temple because as Jewish people, it means something to them. Jesus is prophesying here about the destruction of this temple. That is his end of the world. That's the end of the world for the Jewish people. That's the apocalypse for them. To understand it, I want to give you a little history here. Some ancient Jewish history. The temple is noteworthy. This temple is noteworthy because it replaced the first temple in Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in like 586, 587 BCE by the wicked Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you know the name. He also f just deported the Jews and forced them to leave Jerusalem and live in Babylon. The fall of Jerusalem under Babylon marks the end of the kingdom of Judah and thus the national identity of Israel altogether. Israel was already in some disarray because the United Kingdom, 
the United Kingdom of Israel, which were, was under Saul and David and Solomon, split when the northern tribes who will, would come to make up the kingdom of Israel refused to take Rehoboam, one of the sons of Solomon, the king that Bathsheba birthed with David. They refused to take this king and the kingdom splits. In the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians in 720 BCE, never to be heard of again. So in less than 500 years, the entire Jewish community was decentralized and taken away from their nation with no temple. They live in a diaspora now, and they lack a national identity, and so they assimilate to other cultures around them. Some became Babylonian, and when Babylon fell, the Persian Empire took over, and some became Persian. Read the story of Esther for more about what it meant to declare herself as a Jew in the Persian Empire. So Herod building this temple to these people, lacking a national identity, was a big deal. It was a source of national pride and hope, central part of their political and religious life. The disciples are marveling at the most important national symbol for them, the most important religious symbol for them, the place where they think God dwells. And as they do, Jesus says it will be destroyed. In one sense, Jesus is predicting how his death and how his resurrection will create a new order of worship and faith. His whole ministry in Mark is a criticism of the corruption of the temple, and he is bringing a new order. But more than that, Jesus is predicting the actual fall of the temple. This temple falls in 70 AD when the Romans take it over. Like the Assyrians and the Babylonians before them, the Romans overtake Jerusalem and destroy it. So why, why, is the, why the history lesson, right? Because we're remembering that the destruction of the second temple of Jerusalem is like an apocalypse. It is like an end of the world to these people. And it was a season of grieving and mourning. And Israel and Judaism, after this, had to reinvent itself. And it very much does. The disciples ask Jesus when the temple will fall. And Jesus warns them not to be led astray by false prophets claiming to be the Messiah. He warns them not to run off with false messiahs. They'll be tempted to. They'll hear wars and rumors of wars and nations will fight one another and earthquakes will follow. Then he says this in verse 8, this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Jesus goes on into the discourse, and you can read all of Mark 13 later, but we're going to stop there because there's so much drama here already. The Jewish world is ending through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, but also in real time. In fact, the gospel was written, this gospel, the gospel of Mark, was probably written before the fall of the temple or shortly after it. And so it's, 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 a, it's, it's a very current moment. This, Jesus is predicting that what will just happen or what has just happened will happen and kind of reveling in it. 
So for its readers to hear this discourse, which implies the end of the temple, could have been very horrifying. Mark's readers are in Rome. They're persecuted already, as it is. Nero is the king, is the, is the, is the emperor in, in Rome at this time. He's killing Christians. And then the te- they're, 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 in, they're, in very, they're, in, they're afraid. Their world is ending. But when they hear that the end of the world is coming, when they hear the apocalyptic message, there is some comfort in the empathy and the hope that it provides. For destitute people, the end of the world as they know it is a good thing. You know, and I don't want to get too... um, misanthropic when I say this, but this earth rejecting who is destroying it, the same kind of thing. You know, what does creation think about the people pillaging it? How is it responding? You know, this is a relationship we're having with the earth. The earth will go on. You know, to a lot of it, what's a little bit more water? You know, 99.9% of species are extinct already. Most don't make it. Creation, nature still thrives. So why is it hopeful, though, for these Jewish people? The birth pangs that Jesus mentioned suggest a new beginning, a new start. The destruction of the temple makes way for the modern form of Judaism that we have today, rabbinical Judaism, where Jewish worship can happen in synagogues all over the place and not just in a central temple. It's a big shift. In fact, the Jewish political party that Jesus was most influenced by, the Pharisees, are the surviving religious movement in Judaism that exists today. That's, that's the most predominant form of Judaism. The other, form, the other thing, people you hear about, like the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes, they're not, they didn't survive. And so the, the main theological um, stream in Judaism is Pharisaical. I said this before, but I'll say it again. Be careful then when you use Pharisee to, like, as a slur to describe Christian fundamentalists or something like that. These are actual people. Right, right in our communities. So they're not just Bible characters. So be, be, be sensitive to that. The destruction of the temple breaks open Judaism too, though. And it leads to eventual Gentile inclusion in Judaism. Enmity grows between Jew, Gentile-inclusive Jews and Jews that are not inclusive of Gentiles and eventually, Christianity forms. But this moment of destruction and apocalypse predicts something new. The pain of this moment, the end of the temple, the end of Jewish identity, makes a way for something new. Therefore, the end of the world as we know it also makes a way for something new for us. All of the above circumstances, the pandemic, 
Climate change. Why supremacy? Give us a chance to imagine something new. When we see creeping white supremacy take over our country, when we see it infect our church in surprising ways, at least for me, how, how, do, we, how do we respond to this, the end of that world? When we saw what happened last summer, when we saw Derek Chauvin kill George Floyd, we started to imagine, is this the best way to keep our community safe? Is another way possible? Do we need a militarized police force to do that? What kind of training do police even get? Can we imagine something new? The foregone conclusions about how things were change in adversity. We can imagine something new when we're faced with the the awful reality. As we face a climate catastrophe, we wonder about all sorts of things that, that, that we didn't think were possible before. Do we need all these cars? How come so much of our infrastructure is automobile infrastructure? How much money goes into making it more convenient for people to drive? We also wondered, why are we using an over 100-year-old technology in all of our cars? Why is the internal combustion engine still a piece of technology? It's very old, and we can do a lot of different things. Why is that still the case? Ford just announced a uh, truck called the Ford 100. It has 600 foot-pounds of torque electric. I mean, that's just unimaginable to me. That may not mean anything to you, but 450 horsepower too. So it's, 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 a, it's, and it's electric, it plugs in. You know, that's surprising to me. What forces kept that from emerging before? We had the technology, it's not particularly new. We imagine new things when we're faced with adversity. Can we produce energy differently? Can we consume energy differently? Can we live differently? Even after the pandemic, we think about public health differently. We think about working from home in new ways. We think about our labor differently. Think about our relationships differently. In September, we saw 4.4 million people in September quit their jobs. August had the previous record. People are saying, we can do this differently. We don't need to be oppressed. These working conditions don't have to stand. We know something different can happen. Ends of worlds help us to build a new world among us. And for us as a church, as we go through birth pangs, as we emerge from this pandemic, we have a lot of new questions to answer. Who will we be now? This is a great opportunity to reimagine how things are. Nothing is the same. There are no foregone conclusions. Everything can change. Who will we be now? What has the pain of the pandemic taught us? What has our racial reckoning taught us? Look, the path forward won't be painless. 
Jesus says as much. But the pain of the experience is good news for the oppressed, which is good news for all of us. When we feel the pain, the pain you experience, when you see the recording of George Floyd dying, that pain you feel, that it, it gets above the surface, we all feel it, we all see it. People of color feel that pain all the time. It's just not on the surface, it just hasn't surfaced. When we saw how the pandemic affected all of us and essentially made us all disabled, people that are disabled feel that all the time too. So we feel, we get to know, we relate, we believe. It's painful to finally be believed when it's an emergency, when it's a crisis. You know, when the sea level rises, more people will believe. How do we make something happen now, though, before it's too late? How do we change it so that we don't just get excited again about anti-racism when more black people are killed by police? We can't wait till then all the time. It's too late. Listen to the prophecy. This is a prophecy. We can change now. We don't have to wait. So as we forge a path to make our church more anti-racist and anti-oppression, you will hear people say, this feels like the end of the church. And I've heard that. That's, that speaks to how white supremacy holds on to our identity like Herod's temple held on to the Jewish people. But if the, recent, if the recent apocalyptic experience taught us anything, it's that we don't have to settle for anything as a foregone conclusion. Things can change. Norms can change. We can change. Relationships can change. That's sad in some ways because our relationships suffered during the pandemic. We lost them. We lost people here. but they can also grow closer and new things can happen. Our attitudes and beliefs can change too. I never thought I'd baptize someone over Zoom, receive a covenant member in the Twin Cities in Philadelphia. We have a Philadelphia church. What are we doing in the Twin Cities? You know, there's a Facebook group that I don't want you to join, but I'll tell you about it. It's called... Uh, my friends made it for me because I have friends all over the country for some reason. It's called Johnny Rashid Wants You to Move to Philadelphia. Um, because that's, I would often invite people to do that. Apparently you don't have to anymore and you can be a part of Circle of Hope. So that's like, that's a new thing, right? Um, so I never thought I'd baptize someone by Zoom. I had a theological opposition to it. But the circumstances around me changed my doctrine that's how it works. Change my theology. Things that happen that we experience change what we believe. That's also how theology happens too, right? It's kind of incredible. 
And I never thought I would encounter the racism that I experienced in our church either. But a lot can change. And with the world ending, why not grasp for what we want? Why not take what we can get now? Because we don't know if we'll have another opportunity. You know? For some of us, that means, oh, I won't delay going to that restaurant that I wanted to go to because it might close next year. Right? You take these, seize the opportunity. But for our theological and religious and political imagination, let's take those opportunities now. We can do that. Can we use the existential crises we face to make the church, make the world, make our lives what we want, what God wants, what the Holy Spirit wants? Can we take what we read in the Bible as maybe idealism from Jesus that isn't ever going to work and then actually apply it? Can we do that? What if Jesus really meant what he said? What prevents us? All of our temples will fall. All of them will fall. But the Lord's words won't. At the end of this passage, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I have that in my, uh, in my office, a banner of that that we used in worship once. That's what we'll hold on to. Jesus' words won't fall away, even as the whole world does. So let's use this apocalypse that we're in to imagine who we can be next as a church. That's what we're doing. There is nothing the same. Everything is different. This congregation is different and the whole church is different. There's some fear in that, especially if you got a lot of security from what it was like before. But there is hope in that if what it was before oppressed you. We can change everything. Every ideal that the Lord gives us can be fully expressed. Nothing is off the table. Everything changes. Our critical thinking changes. Our responsibility changes. Our practicality changes. Our reasonableness changes. All these things change. Those things don't have to preclude our dreams. World's end. Jesus remains faithful. So we can do the next thing now. In our lives in our congregation, and in our church. May God be with us. Let's pray, and then we'll do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for your presence and for your hope and for the peace you give us amid, in the storm that we're in. Give us the courage to be the kind of church that we want to be now, to be the kind of followers of you that we want to be. Take away what we think our foregone conclusions are and fill us with your imagination. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.